Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we consider the Gospel reading, which begins this way. One Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Friends in our Lord Jesus, the entrepreneurial sort might find quite an opportunity in today's Gospel reading. Maybe you can see it already, a book. A book, the kind you'd probably find at the new features section at the table. You walk into Barnes & Noble or at the swivel rack near the pharmacy and the drugstore. A book. A book entitled Sabbath Lessons in Social Etiquette. And the subtitle would read, Learning Social Graces from Jesus. And you know it would sell. It's a sad reality that all too many see in Jesus little more than that. A sage advice giver on all things from, from diplomacy to the dining table. The Son of the Eternal God did not take on human flesh and sin and pain in order that he might simply save faces when it comes to social graces. Even in today's Gospel account, on each opportunity on which he ceases to teach in each case in that gospel account of the Sabbath day dinner today in each case Jesus aims far deeper aiming at things that are eternal consider the account begins by placing Jesus here at the, at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees now this host has invited to this dinner banquet all of his cronies his friends Pharisees those were teachers of the Mosaic Law, Pharisees and lawyers, professional advisors in the law. This crowd knew the law. Jesus' presence there may seem a bit out of place, but no matter the motive, he was invited, and as he had done on previous occasions, he was pleased to accept the invitation, and so there he was. Were there ulterior motives? Luke does note that, that they, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they were watching him closely. They were expect, inspecting his every move and scrutinizing his every move. After all, it was the Sabbath. And we're told that a man with dropsy came before them. Now, the condition's not as it sounds. The name comes from the Greek word for watery. Udropikos, because this man and others who suffered like him suffered from a severe swelling. So you get the term watery. He suffered from a severe swelling that you could see it was evident to those who looked at him. A severe swelling so often due to the worse interior condition. Often it was some degree of organ dysfunction or in, in many cases organ failure. It was evident this man stood in need. It's interesting that Luke notes that Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Had they said or done anything yet to which Jesus could respond? Absolutely. Their inaction in the face of this man's need and condition spoke far more loudly than any word they could have said. They did absolutely nothing to help him in any way. Why? 
Well, it was the Sabbath. Now, was this man a a plan? Was he planted there by the, the Pharisees that they might catch Jesus breaking the Sabbath by helping him? Perhaps was... Was he simply an opportune visitor that might accomplish the same end? It really doesn't matter. Whichever and in any case, he became, this man became a teaching tool in the hands of our Lord. Who responded to the Pharisaic legalistic inaction by asking this. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now surely a room full of Pharisees and lawyers could answer that simple question. But silence. Silence. They took the fifth so as not to incriminate themselves because you see if, if they said yes it is legal well they had no longer had any charge against Jesus. But if they said no it's not legal then they themselves were guilty of breaking the higher law. Because you see, Jesus' question really was this. Is it lawful to love on the Sabbath? Friends, whatever the self-established, self-imposed rules and regulations of men, the law of love reigns supreme. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, love is to be the interpreter of the law. Now, they had their Sabbath regulation. But was it to the exclusion of love your neighbor as yourself? They had, they had a Sabbath. But wasn't the Sabbath made for man? Not man for the Sabbath. They had a regulation, but they also had before them a man who stood in great need. He stood in need of their love. He stood in need of their kindness, of their long-suffering with him at this particular occasion in need of their gentleness and their goodness. St. Paul writes against such things, love and kindness and gentleness and goodness, against such things, he writes, there is no law. We've got to stop and ask ourselves this. What were the Pharisees and lawyers really doing? You know what they were doing? They were scrutinizing Jesus in order To disqualify him. To disqualify him by their self-established, self-imposed standards so that he wouldn't interfere with that with which they were comfortable. So that he bear upon their lives only so far as they wanted him to. And friends, we've all got to beware of doing exactly that. Of trying to catch Jesus in standards of our own design in order that we might disqualify him at least to a degree. How do we do that? Well, we do that when we reason that Jesus is loving. He's loving and embracing and saying anything against the chosen lifestyles of others. For instance, against premarital sexual relationships. Or against extramarital sexual relationships or or homosexuality that's saying things against these things or against the worldviews that others embrace. Well, that simply wouldn't be loving as Jesus is loving. You could call it the Anne Rice effect. Maybe you know of Anne Rice. 
She's a, a, a noted author of, of vampire novels who some time ago publicly confessed and professed Christianity. But only some weeks ago, she's publicly, <coughs> she's publicly now renounced it, saying, and I quote her, I quit Christianity. I'm out, she says. In the name of Christ, she says, I, re- I refuse to be anti, she, she lists homosexuality. I refuse to be anti-secular humanism. And she lists many other things. Which of you, including Anne Rice, which of you, if a son or a brother, even if you be strong-willed as an ox, which of you, if a son or brother has fallen into the well shaft of a particular sin, which of you would leave him there? Would you not, would we not immediately lend a hand a corrective, loving word, even though it might be refused, would we not? There's no law against such thing. In fact, love compels it, does it not? Or which of us having a son or a brother, even a father, who to his own detriment has neglected the means of saving grace, received where God's word is preached, his sacraments faithfully given, who's neglected these for for far too long, which of us would simply give him up as lost because of some self-imposed family rule of non-confrontation? No. So often love compels us. On that Sabbath day, Jesus filled the void of their silence With his love, he healed the man on the Sabbath because that's what love required. And he sent him well on his way. And there's no, against such thing, there's no law. And thank our God that there's not, for consider it. Is it right? You could say, is it lawful? That God the Almighty should lay aside his due majesty, should, should assume flesh of our sinful flesh, should eat, should dwell with us? Is it right? Us who are all as guilty as any Pharisee of withholding due love from a neighbor? Is it right that on the cross God in flesh should endure the justice of God's righteousness against all Sin of every man of all time. Is it right? And yet he did it. He did it because his love compelled him. So that today, guilty though we be, and we are. So that yet today the law is silenced. The law can't accuse you. It has nothing to reply to the answer of Christ's love upon the cross. It has nothing to say to Christ's cross. And still, today, on this day, He reaches out to us in our condition. Here in this Word that you hear read to you and preached to you at this table, in this feast, still He reaches out and He heals you. And just like that man that day, 
He now sends you healed, forgiven on your way. Love compels him. Now, having dismantled the self-imposed laws of man by the law of love, recall the reading, Jesus now turns attention to another Another law, if you will, you could call it a law of nature, fallen nature, the universal law of self-exaltation. Because remember, he notes how the many guests at this dinner scramble to secure for themselves the, the places of honor. Now, if Jesus were only giving lessons in social etiquette, still his advice would be good and sound and wise. Don't angle for the better places. It's better, far better to be asked to move up than it is to be told, move over, move down. But of course, again, the Christ didn't come from heaven to teach table manners. He's aiming at things far deeper here. He's aiming at the universal problem of pride, human pride, subsurface. Though it is hidden, though we may try to keep it, does it not make itself known and apparent every single day of life? Whenever we'd angle at the expense of another for I, for me, for mine, whenever we'd look to presume to to position ourselves in a place of honor above someone else to any degree, in any context, Children do it all the time. I see them. You do too. They clamor for the best seat to sit and to watch the movie or, or, to, or to eat. Adults do it too, don't we? We do it far better than the children. We do it far better. We're more covert about it. We're more subtle in doing it. Sometimes, sometimes even feigning Pretending, even using the show of humility in order to be asked to move up. Who, me? Jesus speaks to far more than table etiquette here. If it's unwise to put yourself forward in the presence, as the writer of Proverbs said in the Old Testament reading, if it's unwise to put yourself forward in the presence of kings or to stand in the place of the earthly great, how much more... To presume with pride to stand in the presence of God. And that's really the thing at which Jesus is driving here. Because he concludes that what Luke calls a parable, a picture teaching of a higher truth, he concludes this parable, this parable about a wedding feast, an image Jesus commonly uses to talk of the kingdom of God. He concludes this this parable with this line, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, you and I have a standing invitation to this feast week after week. God himself is the host. God himself is the host. How do we Come into his presence. Do we come pleased with ourselves? 
at least a bit and expecting God will be too? When we come here sizing up one another, measuring, scrutinizing the specks in each other's eyes so that we might get a good feel for what place you or I might envision for ourselves here at this table? Do we come Do we come through those doors every week, assuming and presuming that we deserve a place here? Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, it says, to the humble. And let's not pat ourselves on the back for being humble. Those who are humbled are humbled only because God has humbled us. The psalmist says, I was brought low. Not I brought myself low, but he says, I was brought low and the Lord saved me. How does he bring us low through his word, the law, by which we're taught, as Isaiah says, that even our best righteousnesses amount to little more than filthy rags brought low we're brought low through ailment and illness are we not as we realize how far and how deeply we depend each day upon God the dust of death can't humble anyone any lower but God's word his promise to those that he's humbled and who believe in him his word is true he will exalt you in due time. And so the psalmist says he raises, he raises the poor out of the dust. And indeed he'll do that for you. In due time on the last day he'll raise you from the dust. It says he raises, he lifts the needy out of the ash heap. He will, he already has. It says he'll do these that he may seat him with princes. Yea, even with his son at heaven's table. We come before God, as Luther put it well, beggars, all. We come poor, we come needy with nothing in these hands to offer him. We come, and there's no distinction before God. St. Paul says as much, there's no difference. All have sinned and fall short, and yet all are saved in the very same way. We come with no distinction before God. It's said that the Duke of Wellington, when once he was receiving the sacrament at his parish church, a poor old man came, he knelt down right to his, his side. And a warden came over and he touched this old, this poor, this dingy man on the shoulder and he motioned for him to move down a ways from the Duke. When the Duke noticed it, he reached out his hand and he grasped the hand of that that old poor man, and he said to him, Sir, don't move. He said in a whisper, he said, We're all equal here. We're all equal here. All being invited by the gracious host to move up, receiving at the Lord's table what we neither deserve nor what we can repay. And that's finally today that's finally what Christ does turn to the host and remark about doesn't he as you recall the end of the gospel reading he turns to the host of the Sabbath dinner party and he, and he says when you give a dinner or a banquet don't invite your friends 
or your neighbors, your brothers, your rich neighbors, your relatives, those who might repay you by inviting you in return. He says, invite those who can't repay you. And he names various social classes of antiquity that, that simply couldn't repay the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind. Invite those who can't. Mind you well, Jesus is not telling us to stop having family and friends over for a barbecue. It's not what he's saying here. He uses an ongoing present verb saying, in essence, don't always and exclusively invite only those who are going to pay you back. Why not? Friends, where would we be if Jesus were to do that? If Christ invited to salvation's meal only those who could repay him. He doesn't invite us to this banquet extravagant with heaven's best, the fruits of his cross. He doesn't invite us expecting that we're going to repay him. His love simply compels it. Friends, as St. John has written, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.